Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Full Cup Professionals, a podcast for social service providers helping professionals and caregivers. If you work with people, if you serve people or take care of people, then this is a podcast for you. I am one of your hosts, Krista Mayfield, and along with my co-host, Faith Larson, we are unpacking the impact of social service on us as the providers. I think all of us that got into this work are here because we care about people. We want to help and serve and make our communities a better place. But we haven't talked enough about the impact of that work on us. And that's what this podcast is all about, helping us understand how to take care of ourselves so that we can keep showing up in a sustainable way. In this first episode, we're really just diving into what is trauma and do we all have it? Clue the answer is yes. And this isn't a pity party, but really this is empowering because understanding what's happening in our brains and bodies helps us make decisions that keep us showing up in a way that we want to. We want to keep serving, we want to keep helping, but we need to know how to keep doing that in a sustainable way and understanding trauma is key to that. So this first episode is really laying the groundwork for this entire podcast as we understand who we are as humans and what the impact of our work has on us. I think you're gonna love it and I can't wait for you to listen. I'm so excited that you're here. Let's get started. Hello, friend. Hello. We are finally here. Yeah, I can't believe it. Finally here. This has been a long time coming, but I think that's because you and I very much appreciate quality. Mm, Yeah. And we were wanting quality out of this. So I am so excited to get to be jumping into the Full Cup Professionals podcast with you today. Yes, we made it. We're finally here. We are, we are. And to you listening, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to create this space for you. We have talked so much about our vision for this and what we want this to be for you. So we are so excited. We have so many incredible topics and we're just going to jump right in on them today. But before we do that, we wanted to introduce ourselves as your host. I am Krista. This is Faith. Hey. And we want to just let you know who we are and why we're here. So I'll jump in, give you a little bit of background on myself. I am a native Houstonian, born and raised. I have been all over the world, and yet I keep coming back to Houston because, well, I don't know why exactly, but I have fallen in love with it. (laughs) (laughs) It's working for me at this point. And about eight and a half years ago, I started my journey into the anti-human trafficking space. I started out as a volunteer, quickly became on staff at an organization. I was one of the first hired staff members of a fledging anti-human trafficking organization. And so I got to really be a part of seeing that become a really, really strong organization in the state of Texas and got to do all kinds of things from volunteer management, social media, education, talking about trafficking, educating professionals in the community. And then I also did direct service, working with people coming out of trafficking situations. So I really had the full gambit of the anti-trafficking work, direct service work, but also just like nonprofit life in general. And that's my history. That's my foray into the social services space. And Faith, you've been at this longer than I have, and you've done a lot more. Yeah, my career to get here hasn't been such a straight line, but every stop along the way has definitely, you know, helped me build to get where I am today. But yeah, so I 
grew up in Austin, Texas, in a suburb outside of Austin. I moved here about 15 years ago when I got my first job. I used to work for the county here where we live. Um, I worked there for about eight years. That was in the criminal justice field, but we did a lot of social service work, a lot of case management, a lot of social work. And so about eight years into that career, I said, hey, I I really enjoyed the social work part of this job more than the criminal justice part of this job. And so I decided to go back to school, become a social worker. When I was in school, I volunteered with the organization that Krista, that you worked at at the time. And so when I finished school, I came on board at that organization and that's where you and I met and worked together for some years and we're in the trenches together. And so Hmm. coming out of that organization, I went on to become a licensed clinical social worker, which is where I'm at now. And about a year ago, I went into full-time private practice and I've just been loving this space of being in private practice, learning, you know, more clinical focused stuff and learning more about business and, you know, really diving into the more clinical side of things has gotten me to where I am today. But yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you again. Me too. I've loved working alongside you. And I think that the way that our paths have crossed and just how we both have had a passion for this conversation about how do we do social services well and in a way that is sustainable. I think you and I both have been on the not so sustainable (laughs) side of things. I've definitely done it all the wrong ways. Yes. And, you know, we've worked in a really high trauma space. And so you being a trauma therapist, I think you have just a really important lens. So I'm excited. Faith, this is the Full Cup Professionals podcast. What is in your cup this morning? What you drinking? So today I have my affirmation cup. It's got some good daily affirmations on it. Just helps me keep myself lifted up throughout the day. But I'm just drinking some water. But I have some lime essential oil in my water that kind of gives it like a little limey taste. Mm. Yeah. And lime essential oil is like really good for positivity. And so, you know, just put a couple drops in my water. Wow. We love a hydrated queen. Yes. I'm drinking coffee, so (laughs) not quite as up to par, man, but next time. Hey, and next time I'll probably be drinking coffee. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I've already had my allotted amount for the day. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Perfect. Well, we wanted to just jump right into content, actually talking about the things. So we're talking about the impact of working with people, especially people that have experienced trauma or been through hard things. In this podcast, yeah. Full Cup Professionals, that's what we're going to be talking about, the impact that that work has on us because there is an impact. And I think for so long, mm-hmm. we just didn't talk about that. You know, We just didn't talk about how to see what we see and hear what we hear and do what we do every day. And not let it drain our cup. Yes. We just didn't even consider that it had implications on us and that maybe we could do something about that. Yeah. Or even acknowledge it. Right. Which is where it starts. And so this is part of that that movement, this changing conversation around caring for ourselves. So we're going to yeah. be sharing tools, resources, and practices to help us continue to do our work in a sustainable way, to do it excellently, and to stay healthy, and just to not lose ourselves in that process. 
Yeah. Enjoying yourself. Yes. Enjoying ourselves, enjoying life and really enjoying our work because we all got into this because we're passionate, because we want to do it. We want to be here. Yeah. And we want that story to continue, right? Yeah. So in this first episode, we want to just really start basic level. We want to really understand trauma and why helping professionals have it. Mm. So we're just going to dive in. Faith, you are the licensed clinical social worker. Tell us, what is trauma? Okay, yeah. So trauma, from a clinical perspective, is any event that overwhelms your ability to cope. So that could be what we would call a big T trauma, which would be like a major life event, like maybe say a car wreck or a divorce or a death or a dog bite, anything that you can point to and say, hey, that was an event that happened in my life that overwhelmed my ability to cope in the moment. So we would call that a big T trauma. Sorry, can you help me understand the ability to cope piece? Because I think when I even think about that, I'm like, well, I got through it or I I handled it, you know? So what's the difference between like, I got through it, I handled it and like this definitions of ability to cope? Yeah, that's a really great question because yeah, most people think that like, oh, well, I survived and Mm -hmm. I'm still here. So that wasn't traumatic. And that's not actually true. What is traumatic about an event is if we take that event and all we did was survive then that overwhelmed our ability to cope. Cope means that we are able to thrive during that event, that we're able to take care of ourselves during that event, that we're able to continue on the same like life path that we were at before, that we're able to maintain our same level of functioning as we were before the event and after the event. So if the event disrupts our level of functioning, then we're not able to cope. If it is you know, taking over all of our mental space in our mind, if it's hijacking our body Mm -hmm. because of panic or because of shutdown, then we're not able to cope. And those are signs that we're not coping well. So let's just say we were in a car wreck, right? And that's a very scary thing. So for a couple of days after the car wreck, we're going to experience some things that, you know, we're going to experience reliving the car wreck in our mind. Maybe we might think about it or we might relive it. And we might wake up in the middle of the night and dream about it. And then throughout the day, we might feel that overwhelming sense of panic when, you know, we realized we were going to get hit by the car. And so for a couple days, you know, to a week, that's going to be normal for us to be experiencing because our brain and our body are still processing what happens. But if we're experiencing those things for a prolonged period of time, then those things have overwhelmed our ability to cope with the event that happened. And so when they are prolonged, we would say, oh, that event is now a traumatic event. Okay, gotcha. It almost sounds like there's this element of, like when I think of the ability to cope, I almost think of just like losing control of your consciousness. Like Mm, in in a moment, I lost the ability to make a conscious decision about how I responded. I just, I just did. I just responded, but it wasn't necessarily a thought out deliberate process. It was just like you said, my body took over. I had a gut reaction. I had this immediate Mm -hmm. response. Yeah. So we do, our body is wired to have automatic trauma responses or stress responses. And in the moment of a stressful event or a threatening event, 
our body is supposed to respond. That's a natural thing that is protection. But if we're not able to come out of that response, if we're not able to come back to the functioning of not being in fight or flight after the event, then we are in a prolonged state of the traumatic event. We're stuck in whatever trauma response that was. Yeah, for sure. I think you mentioned already the difference between like big T traumas and little T traumas. Yeah. What are little T's? What's the difference? What makes them different? Yeah. Okay. So big T traumas, like I said, they're events that you can point to. So we can point to that event and go, oh, Krista was like this before this event happened. And then now after this event, Krista has changed and is like this. So they're going to be real big life events. Little T traumas can be just as detrimental to us, just as overwhelming, but they're not as easy to pinpoint as traumatic events. They're going to be the little subtle relational things that we experience on a day-to-day basis. So it's when you're a kid and you fall down and you scrape your knee and it's bleeding and you're crying and your parent looks at you and says, hey, get up. You don't have anything to cry about. That's not really being hurt. Stop being a baby. Stop being dramatic. That's going to be a little T trauma. That's going to tell us something negative about ourselves that's going to carry with us. It's in high school Mm. when we are, you know, being bullied by people that we thought were our friends and it's ongoing. It could be, you know, if we're in a relationship and the person that we're in a relationship with is manipulative or degrading to us. Those are going to be little T traumas. And there's a million other different little T traumas out there. I could spend all day talking about little T traumas. Right. Because little T traumas are so impactful on our emotional experience and the way that we view ourselves within the world that we live in. Hmm. And when they happen over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, at some point, they're going to turn traumatic because they, again, will overwhelm our ability to cope with the negative fallout of that recurring experience. Gotcha. I really liked what you said, that it's something negative that stays with us. Mm-hmm. You and I both train and teach on trauma. And when I have trained on it, I've kind of used the analogy or I've described trauma as any negative impact that leaves a dent. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we got hit with something. And then instead of us being like, ow, but we stayed the same shape, right? But we stayed the same. That mm-hmm. negative impact hit us and it marked us. It left mm-hmm. a dent. And so then we continue to move through the world with that dent, with that impact still marking, mm-hmm. still shaping us. Yeah. And again, when we think about trauma that way, we're like, oh, that's. <laughs> That's so much of life. That's everything, right? How Mm -hmm. much of life have we been through something negative and it then shaped us? And I think, Mm -hmm. again, part of that is just so normal. Mm -hmm. But this idea that we lose our ability to cope, like we don't have a logical or a conscious way to move through that. Mm -hmm. So we end up in this like gut survival response that if we look back on it, it seems outside of us. Like either I don't remember doing that or I didn't mean to do that or why did I do that? Yeah. It just kind of seems to come from somewhere else. Yeah. And you know, you brought up another really good point about like the negative staying with us. It's not always the event itself that stays with us. It's the way that we interpret the event to mean something mm-hmm. about ourselves that stays with us. 
It's the way we interpret the world. Now that this has happened to me, the world is no longer safe. The world used to be safe and it is no longer safe. And so the event is much less of what causes the trauma than how we interpret what the event means. And that is what sticks with us. Those are the dents that we are going to carry. You know, Mm. they're like the invisible scars that we carry with us that continue to impact our life and our ability to function. Yeah. Well, the other point about trauma that has really, really stood with me, especially as we're going to get to in a second about vicarious trauma. um, There was a study done specifically on vicarious trauma and how a person could get it, essentially. Uh How is someone traumatized by what they saw or what they witnessed, what they heard? Um, And what they found was that when you are exposed to something and you didn't have a choice that is traumatic yeah so the difference that they said was like if you sat down and watched a really violent movie or you played a really violent video game or you saw um you're watching some kind of explicit content and saw some violence there that is not traumatic because you chose to watch it however the difference was that if you had to watch that content for your job So the study said if you consume media that's violent or that has something traumatic, you don't get vicarious trauma unless you have to consume that media. For example, a police officer or an investigator having to watch, you know, Internet crimes against children or something like that. That is then traumatic. And so what that taught me was that your that control has a lot to do with it, that your Trauma is something that happens to you. It is something, it's a situation that you were put into. Um, And it's that space where you didn't ask for something. You didn't ask for something to happen to you in a moment, you know, you didn't have control over whether that person hurt you or whether you got in that car accident. And so those, there's so many moments like that in life where we're in those situations. We don't have control. Something that we did not want to happen happened to us. And now we have to kind of piece through, piece yeah. through the fallout. And what could be marking for me, what could leave a dent? Because I like how you mentioned the meaning behind it. I could experience the same thing as you, but we could interpret very different things. And yeah. I could come away with a very different idea of myself versus how you come away with. And that could just be with how we grew up, our childhood, our parents teach us how to navigate that. So if Mm -hmm. I had a bad experience and then from that, I inferred a lot of meaning about Mm -hmm. I'm not lovable. I'm not good. I'm, I'm always in danger. I have to look out for people. People are going to hurt me. I'm not smart. And it can even go to the support system that we have when we're at that time in our life too. Like if you experience something as a kid where you have a huge support system, parents, and you're at school, so you're around other kids who are experiencing the same things and you're constantly having events to go to or college even, but you experience the same type of event when you're an adult, you know, maybe you're living far away from your family and maybe you're in a new city and you don't have that support system that you're always used to having to having someone else say, hey, you know, we're in this together. Mm. That can make an event that one time you were able to cope with is no longer something that I can cope with anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. And again, coping just being that ability to consciously decide how you're going to respond to something. Yeah. Yeah. What we're talking about here is that 
trauma or a traumatic event is a subjective thing. Like you said, you and I could go through the exact same experience and have different results. One of us could come out of that perfectly okay. You know, like, yeah, that was something hard that happened to me, but I'm still on the trajectory I was before. And the other one of us could have our whole lives be on a different trajectory now. And a really good example of how trauma is subjective is COVID. You know, like collectively as a society, we all went through the same thing. Even if we were to funnel it down to like here in Texas or here in Houston, we all went through the same quarantine. You know, we all went through the same, hey, working at home and transitioning to the online world. We all had to figure out how to do life when all of a sudden, you know, we used to all go different places and now we're all here trying to do school and work and all at the same time while dealing with a global pandemic. And some people were able to cope with that and adjust and thrive during COVID. And then when everything was lifted, we're able to adjust right back to normal society. And some people are still today feeling the effects of the quarantine. And a lot of it had to do with what their previous experiences were before COVID, what individually happened to them during COVID. You know, some people had close ones pass away. Some people didn't. Some people had a a strong support system and some people isolated or didn't isolate by choice, but were isolated because of their circumstance. And all of those factors played a role in how someone was able to cope with all of the chaos that was happening during COVID. And it just really highlights how trauma can be subjective, how we can literally go through the exact same thing and have two totally different outcomes. Yeah, for sure. Let's unpack complex trauma because I think, especially in social services, when we are interacting with people that have been through hard things, what we are encountering is complex trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think what we will likely experience is complex trauma. So can you help us understand a little bit about complex trauma? Yeah. So complex trauma is going to be when we have repeated exposure over extended period of time of those little T traumas and mixing in some of those big T traumas. So for an example, if we took a domestic violence relationship situation, several times a day, you're going to be experiencing those little T traumas, those manipulations, that gaslighting. You're going to be experiencing the am I crazy? Did that just happen? Is what I'm experiencing real? That's going to be kind of your baseline of what's happening all day, every day. And then you're going to sprinkle in, or maybe not even sprinkle. There's going to be a lot of also big T traumas when the actual violence is happening, when someone throws something and breaks something against the wall, or when you're physically attacked. So when you have both of those happening at the same time for a prolonged period of time, we're going to call that complex trauma. Because it's not just one event that you can pinpoint. Right. And so your ability to cope is constantly overwhelmed because it's happening again and it's happening again and it's happening again and it's happening again and it never stops. And so the idea of I'm able to cope with this is not even existent. It's I have to figure out how to survive this. Then, like you said, all of those conscious choices that help us feel like we're in control, those all go out the window because we have 
now clicked into, hey, I just have to figure out how can I best survive this situation. And I think this is especially true when we're talking about kids and growing up Mm -hmm. in those types of environments. Yeah. Because what complex trauma really is referring to is a brain that is organizing around trauma. Around surviving trauma. Yeah. As opposed to a brain that has learned how to cope in life and has learned how to regulate itself and think through things. Mm -hmm. You don't even get a chance to learn how to do that when you are a child and the period of your life where you're supposed to be learning those skills, you're just surviving. Yeah. All of your effort is taken into surviving. Like you said earlier, that lack of choices is one of the contributing factors. And when you're a kid, Mm -hmm. you have no choice. You have no avenue to escape whatever it is that's happening. If you're experiencing complex trauma within your home, you literally have no choice but to figure out how to endure it until I turn 18 and can move out. And so it is an exceedingly hard thing to be able to thrive under. Yes. Because again, the brain is literally organizing itself and learning how to do life in those circumstances. The way that that presents is really messy because you Mm -hmm. learn survival skills, but not necessarily high-functioning interpersonal relationship, executive function, follow-through, character, like all of those things you don't even have an opportunity to develop. Or maybe, like you mentioned, maybe an adult relationship, you have had those, but none of those are keeping you safe. So you kind of let those fall to the wayside to live into the behaviors and the coping mechanisms that are keeping you alive in the moment. Yeah. Your capacity to learn, you know, you were talking about like executive functioning and interpersonal relationships, but if we're talking about a kid who's supposed to go to school and learn, you don't even have the capacity to learn because your brain can't focus because you're sitting in class and you're pre-figuring out how am I going to survive when I get home? What am I going to do to cope with my situation at home? So I'm not even able to focus on what I'm supposed to be learning. Yeah. And then when you become an adult, you either don't have the capacity to do that, or you have learned that relationships are supposed to be like this because that's what was modeled for me. Mm -hmm. And so even when you leave that situation, those patterns, those behaviors, those neural pathways, they're still there. Yeah, that's They're still operating. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of effort and intentionality to learn a different way of living, to learn how to live in a healthier environment. Yeah. And so much of what social service is, is trying to provide those opportunities for people to try to provide support for people that are experiencing trauma or that are coming out of traumatic situations. Mm -hmm. And the work that you and I did, the hope is that we can provide corrective experiences for people, that they get to encounter something different than they had expected, a safety that they haven't known before. Mm -hmm. And we because we understand trauma, expect them to react to us as if we're not safe. Mm. And we have to learn to expect that, receive that, and then help them say, nope, Mm -hmm. actually, they didn't yell at me. They didn't give up on me. They didn't throw me out the window. But when we're working with people that have experienced trauma, I think on the flip side of that is us on the receiving end of all of the coping mechanisms and the behaviors that Mm. worked for them in that environment, but that are not as pleasant (laughs) 
or as helpful or as functioning. And it just takes work and it takes patience to realize that Mm -hmm. this isn't just like something that a handful of people do that have been through like the worst of the worst. Every single human adapts to what they've experienced. We all do this. Mm And if we all look at the behaviors in our own life that we're not the most proud of or that we don't understand or that shock us sometimes, underneath that is a trauma usually. Underneath that is a pain point. Yeah. Underneath that is something that somewhere along the way, we learned that that behavior, that response keeps me safe from getting hurt. Yeah. And until we face that and think through it, we're going to keep repeating those behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to not just put that in the box of like, oh, something really awful happened, but just to realize like, oh no, we all get hurt in life. None of us want to get hurt. And so we develop ways to try to avoid getting hurt. And sometimes yeah. those ways are not ideal. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they're not always productive. And so when you're working in social services, you're working with people, various populations over various different types of specialties of social services. But the premise of the fact that the people that you're going to be working with on a daily basis have learned how to survive in ways that have kept them safe and have kept them moving forward, but are may not be what society says is productive or society agrees with. And so when you're the social service person showing up to quote unquote, help them, you are to them one of the people who doesn't agree with how they live and how they live is all they know how to survive. And when we try to provide them those corrective experiences, like you were saying, the first thing that we need to realize is that we can't provide them a corrective experience. We have to be able to help them, guide them to provide them themselves their own corrective experience, Mm. because that's really the only way for them to change those neural pathways to say, hey, yeah, this was helpful to you, but you don't need it anymore because you can cope now. You may not have been able to cope then, but you can cope now. And as a social service person, I can be here to guide you and I can be here to hand you a toolbox of tools and teach them to you. But I can't actually change their neural pathways. And so I shouldn't expect that I can You know, and I wish as that 24 year old naive girl thinking, oh, I'm here to save the world, that I had understood trauma the way that I did now, because things would have been so different for me and for all the clients that I worked with. It would have been so much more productive. Let's talk about that because that's why we're here in this podcast, right? Is to, to unpack the ways that our experiences have shaped us. And we've talked about trauma, just kind of the general definition. We've talked about complex trauma, but vicarious trauma is that experience of feeling as if we lived it, having those same symptoms, Mm -hmm. having that same physiological mental response, but we just heard about it or we witnessed it. And I think you talking through like, man, if I had just known I think there is vicarious trauma that is just unavoidable, mm-hmm. right? You answered that crisis call. You showed up to the scene. You saw the thing. Like that is just part of the job and you can't avoid it. But there were moments in my career, and it sounds like in maybe yours too, where because I didn't understand, I can't do this for you. I can't 
take this emotion from you. I can't take this pain from you. That I put myself in emotionally and mentally, I put myself in situations that I didn't need to put myself into or felt a weight that I shouldn't have carried. Because like you said, yes, because I didn't realize that's helping is being present, but helping is not trying to like emotionally or mentally take this load from you and make it better. So I'd love to hear a little bit of your story about the impact that your work in social services had on you, how you've kind of been affected and how you've come to realize some of those lessons that you just talked about. Oh yeah. We could probably spend a whole podcast just just on those stories. I was 24 when I started off working in social services. At the time I thought I was like old and wise, but I was just a baby. For as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be in a job where I helped people. And I especially really wanted to work with kids. It was really important to me to work with kids. And I still really love working with kids, but that was just kind of my driving force is, hey, I want to work with kids. And so when I first started working, you know, I was this young, naive girl. I grew up in the suburbs of Austin. I grew up middle class, privileged to not have experienced a lot of the things that the people that I was working with at the time had experienced. And so I had no frame of reference of what types of other environments there are to live in. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the first thing that I imagined was culture shock. And there was no training. It was like, hey, you're hired. Here's your first file. This is where they live. Go for it. And it was like, okay. And I'm 24 years old walking into, you know, Section 8 housing, having no skills and no anything. So training and understanding that you're going to have culture shock or you're going to need to have these set of skills to feel safe going into places is something that I didn't have. You know, and then you start working with people and just really knowing that there's more going on underneath the surface here, but I don't know what it is and I don't know how to help people. You know, it's like I got into this profession to help people, but I have no idea how to actually do that. I was trained on how to do the paperwork and I was trained on how to do the administrative parts of these jobs, which I could do really well, but no one actually taught me, Hey, here's a formula of how to actually help the people that you work with. And so for a lot of years, I interpreted my work to mean that I was a failure, that I was not good at what I had wanted to do. And because I was showing up to work at this place of, hey, I have to prove that I am a good helper or that I'm good at helping people, that led me to have a lack of boundaries. It led me to have a lack of boundaries with clients and also a lack of boundaries at work. Like if someone needed something, if administrative staff needed something, I'd be the first one to volunteer to do it, to go above and beyond. You know, I never really stopped to think about what does this cost me? What does working 24-7 physically and emotionally, what does it cost me? And so at home, I would be very resentful of how much it cost without realizing, hey, I'm the one that's costing it to cost so much. You know, like I do have the ability to not do this to myself. And then I found myself getting very disgruntled at the bureaucracy of things of like, well, if it wasn't for this, then this could change. Or if it wasn't for this, this could change. And it's all this red tape that is the problem. So it just turned into a very, like we were talking about earlier, like an unjoyful place to work. I found myself 
all of a sudden not wanting to go to work anymore because it was like, what's the point? And over time, that becomes a very, very, very distressing thing. I would have nightmares. I remember I would go to sleep. I would wake up, you know, my alarm would go off and, you know, like you snooze. And I would have a dream of like the whole day of work where I like actually felt like I worked the entire day. And with all of the experiences of the whole day, when I was really just snoozing for those nine minutes, so then I actually had to wake up and then work that whole day. (laughs) And it's like, oh, now I'm having to relive this twice. And then go to bed thinking about it, wake up and think about it, dream about it. So it was just all consuming. And for me, the main way that it manifested in me was trying to people please my way out of how bad this felt, which ultimately led to a lack of boundaries. And it wasn't until, you know, that I became a mom and I had to have all of a sudden I like had these boundaries of like, you have to pick your child up at a specific time and you're up all night with a child that I started to go, oh, this is not a sustainable working like this and letting it consume me the way that it does is not a sustainable thing that I can continue to do if I'm going to be the type of mom I want to be and be the type of helping professional I want to be. And so that was really what started my journey to trying to figure out what does it look like to work well and do the things to get kind of get back to the things that I actually said I wanted to do while also being the type of person I wanted to be at home and not let all of it spill over. I just think that's so relatable, Faith, because I think, like you said, so many of us come into this profession because we want to make a difference. We want to help. Yeah. And then we get in there and the person who needs our attention the most is ourself. Yeah. <laughs> the person that we were not expecting to have to help is like starts to beg for our attention. Yeah. And all of those things that we learned throughout our life, those little tea traumas that taught us lessons about how we needed to be and what other people expected of us Mm. and what we should expect from other people, all those start to come up. Yeah, And it can be a really beautiful place of healing where I am taking responsibility for myself and living out my values and working through my stuff. And I'm walking alongside you as you do it for you. Yeah. I'm not coming in as the perfect helper who has it all together, mm-hmm. who's going to help you because your life is a mess. Like that is not it. Yeah. And putting ourselves in touch with our own humanity in that way yeah. actually gives us the ability to connect with our clients on the level that they deserve mm-hmm. as a human being with dignity yeah. to say like, you and me both, right? <laughs> yeah. I love that you talked about the responsibility. As helping professions, sometimes we take so much of the responsibility of other people that we don't actually have responsibility for or that we can't even have responsibility for. It's not possible because we can't make someone do something, but we take on that responsibility and we forget to take on the responsibility of ourselves or that it it gets pushed to the side because we're carrying so much responsibility for things that we can't change, that we push down the responsibility to ourselves that we actually can change and we can do those things. And like you said, it can be such a beautiful space for healing when you know why this is happening. Like when you understand, oh, it's because the messages that I have told myself my whole life is that I'm a failure. And so I have to overwork and people please and not have needs 
and not have any boundaries because that's what makes other people think that I'm not a failure. And that's what makes me feel like I'm not a failure. And that's why this is showing up in this job. But if you don't have that self-awareness, then it just feels bad. And it just feels like, oh gosh, I picked the wrong profession. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, now I'm in all this debt from school and I thought this would be my dream job. And now it's turning into be this thing that I didn't expect it to be at all. And when really it's a launching pad for healing, it's a launching pad to say, Mm -hmm. hey, I can show up and do this job well. I can hold boundaries while holding space for you. I can say, gosh, I can't fix that, but I'm here to sit here with you. And we can help walk alongside people so that they can get those corrective experiences for themselves. And what is so interesting is that since I started on the journey to heal myself and I still struggle with boundaries, I still go back and forth with myself all the time. Oh, oops, I stepped outside my boundary. But instead of it being like a extremely distressing thing, it always helps me go, oh, okay, what what was it that triggered me there that made me feel like I needed to get outside my boundary? And then it leads me back to, you know, healing another another pain point. Yeah. I had such a similar experience. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say is enough about me, you know. <laughs> I could talk about me for hours. <laughs> um, tell me about your experience. Tell me all the things. All the things. So different from you, where you got all this excellent training, I did not. My background is not social services or social work, but I started out as a volunteer and I got hired. And so you just kind of dive in, you know, but I was also very young. I think when I started, I was 20, 21, Mm. maybe, maybe 22, you know, so really young, yeah, baby, baby. And my background was in music. I loved the arts. I sing, I dance, I was in theater, and that was just my world. And I wanted to make people happy. I wanted to make people laugh. I want to tell stories that move people, tell stories that affected change. And so when I felt called to work in this field, it was actually really challenging for me. But I Again, because of things I picked up in my childhood, I learned that if I wanted to be loved and I wanted to be accepted, that I had to be a good girl. I had to be self-sacrificing. I thought that people weren't going to love me, and so maybe they would admire or pity me. Now, I'm able to eloquently say that now. But that, even just knowing that that's what was happening in my brain, I only got that like two years ago. So for the first 28 years of my life, that's like the track that I'm living on. Like that belief system was the train tracks laid down and everywhere I went was guided by those thought patterns that I will never be loved. And so I need to settle for being admired or being pitied, which led to me working really, really hard, doing a lot of really crazy things trying to be good enough, trying to be this perfect person that's reliable and there all the time and does excellent Mm -hmm. work and will go to the hard places and do the hard things that no one else wants to do. And because I wanted to be admired or pitied because I thought I wasn't going to be loved, instead of just being like, oh, that was really hard. Oh, well, 
you know, or letting things bounce off of me, I absorbed them because the more I could absorb, the more people would admire or pity me. And so I really took on a lot of that stuff and really struggled with things like martyr complex. And this is a very dramatic way of saying it, but I had this thought in my head and that was what woke me up to how severe this was. I had this thought that I'm better off dead, not necessarily physically dead, but that I am of the most service. I am at my most value when I am depleted, spent. There's nothing left of me. Then I am at my most valuable. And that really woke me up to like, wow, you've got some things that are not great. But when I was working in that space, all of the joy, all the creativity, all the fun, the humor that I used to have started to melt away. I'd be at work and with clients and hearing just awful stories or be in trainings, you know, and again, when you work in this field, it's your everyday life. It's every angle, whether you're doing a social media post or you're doing a presentation or with a client, you're talking about violence and aggression and horror all the time. And so then I'd go hang out with my friends or I'd go to a party, I'd go to an event and people are laughing and having fun. And I'd walk in the room and I would be so angry Mm. because how can you laugh when the world is like this? How can you be happy? Don't you know what I just saw? Don't you know what I just heard. Mm. But I also was jealous of them and I didn't want to spoil their fun. And I was happy that they could live a delusional life. (laughs) And so I didn't want to say anything. And so I just felt really, really isolated. Mm. And I just had kind of like you that just resentment and bitterness building in. I had a lot of intrusive thoughts. It's shaped the way that I do relationships. I've had friends say, hey, do you think that maybe like your fear around relationships might have to do something with your job. And I was like, no, I'm fine. Like, yeah, oops. Yes, it does. (laughs) Yeah. I got really sick. I got physically very ill for a really long time. And so working through all of that, I started to ask myself some questions a few years ago. Like, does it have to be this hard? Mm. I feel like I'm missing something. This can't be it. This can't be what it is. And, you know, coming from a faith background as well, I was just like, is this... God, am I doing this right? You know, like, Mm -hmm. is this really how this is supposed to look? Yeah, it was like you took that die to self phrase, like extremely (laughs) literal. (laughs) Yes. As a matter of fact, that was like the verse on my Mm. Facebook forever. I think I put it there when I was like 15 or 16. Yeah, took that real literally. Because again, I wanted to earn that gold star. If there's a gold star out there to earn, Mm. sign me up because I need a gold star to be loved. And so I started asking those questions. Does it have to be this hard? Why is it like this? And it led me to do a lot of that introspection you were talking about to really identify those belief patterns. I had no idea that I thought like this. I had no idea that things in my childhood that I thought were no big deal actually left me thinking some really messed up stuff about myself. And so I just lived my life that way and made decisions that way, acted that way. And then all of a sudden I'm like drowning and I'm wondering why. And so asking those questions was hugely helpful. And then I also became a certified health coach as I was in the middle of looking for a career change (laughs) (laughs) and started to really see the connection between our physical, mental, and emotional health Mm. and That really helped me to kind of round out that whole experience as I also worked through some of the physical symptoms I was having. And so that's what 
led me to start this podcast, to start my business, which we'll we'll kind of talk about our businesses in a second as we wrap up. But yeah, that's kind of just my story of working in this space. But I saw myself like I kept running into wall after wall after wall. And at some point, mm-hmm. you kind of just wake up and go, maybe it's me. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it me? It can't be. Common denominator. <laughs> Literally. It's me. I'm the problem. So again, like I'm just so grateful that I have had this experience because I don't know what it would have taken or when I would have learned these lessons. But the thing that I'm so passionate about is when I started to see myself, see these patterns, see how how broken I was, see how affected I was by my life and just how human I am. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, what have I been doing trying to be the hero for all these people? Like, Mm. I am just like you. I am just like you. I've adapted a set of skills to survive. And even though your set of skills that you adapted to survive were productive and fit within the society's mold, didn't mean that you were coping well or that you were thriving. Right. It humbled me so much and it gave me so much more compassion, but more than that, respect, respect for the people that we serve to say, if I have the same problems as you, and if our brains are doing the exact same thing with the stories that we've been given, then you also have the same power and the same dignity and the same autonomy that I believe that I have. And I have to be sure that in my profession, in my service, I'm giving you your autonomy back, that I'm highlighting who you are as a human. And so it ended up being a transformative experience. Yeah. By empowering yourself, you inherently empower others. And instead of when I die, when I make myself die, you know, figuratively and emotionally, I am not doing anyone a service. But when I empower myself to live, I empower other people to live and thrive too. And that change in mindset is so powerful. I've heard your story a million times, but the thing that strikes me the most every time I hear it and see it is working with you for all those years, you never would have known that you were Mm. feeling this way. I remember that day we went out for coffee and you said like, this work feels like death to me. I was shocked. I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, you seem to be enjoying it the most out of all of us. Like you never complain, you know, you never saying I'm have plans tonight. You know, when all of us were setting boundaries and saying, no, we can't do that. And no, I'm not going to do that extra thing. And no, I, you know, you were always the first one to say, sure, I'll do it. It seemed like you were doing it because you enjoyed it. And I remember thinking like, gosh, I wish I enjoyed this job as much as Krista. <laughs> And I'm over here like, dun, 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 love me, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Someone love me, please. Oh, that's so yeah. funny. And, you know, and what's funny is that by the time that we worked together, I was a couple of years into my healing journey and you just started that health program. I had just gotten out of school and when I was in school to become a social worker was a really impactful time for me. And then it just really kept on growing. And so... I just really remember thinking, gosh, like Krista really seems to be loving this and not realizing that you were looking at us going, gosh, I wish I could set those boundaries or gosh, I wish I could love myself enough to be able to say no and not be afraid that they won't love me and accept me if I don't say yes. Mm -hmm. And that is what is just so shocking to me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, it has been a journey, yeah. but you know, I think you and I both are on the other side and on a different side. We're farther along. Yeah. But what I really learned, and we're going to talk about this, we have so many great episodes coming up. But what I found was that when I stopped just giving myself away, mm. when I stopped feeling like to pour myself out was just all that I had, all I could do. Like I felt like I didn't even have a choice. When I started to realize like, no, I don't have to live that way. When I said yes, when I showed mm. up to something, it meant something. It meant something. Yeah. I wanted to do it. I wanted to be there. When I was there for that client, when I was there for a friend, it wasn't with that internal sense of, ugh, right? Uh -huh. Like I just felt like I got my heart back and it was like, Yes, like this is who I am. I do show up for my friends. I do love people. I do serve with excellence. Because I have boundaries, it can mean something. And that's what I want for people in this space. I want that for yeah. the people that we're serving. And so in our upcoming episodes, we're talking about the realities of this. We're talking about what it is like to be surrounded with these stories, to be entrusted with these places in our society and with people's lives that we just believe for better, right? We believe for better for them. We believe better for our world, but it does come at a cost. And so we're going to be unpacking things like compassion fatigue, burnout. I'll talk a little bit more about martyr syndrome and what that looks like and how to identify it. We'll talk about secondary stress and PTSD and really what real self-care is and how to do it. We're not talking fluffy. We're not talking bubble baths. I mean, if that's your thing, you do you, but I mean, we are going to talk about essential oils. <laughs> okay. Okay. Faith loves I her do. oils. I love my oils. <laughs> But we want to talk about what does it mean to actually care about yourself mm -hmm. and to show yourself love. We're not talking like spoil yourself with like a nice dinner. We're talking like how do you speak to yourself with kindness? What you just said, Faith, how do you love yourself enough to say no and believe that you're still worthy, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's what this podcast is. And so you'll be hearing from us, but we're also going to do some awesome interviews. We have some really cool guests in the works that I think you guys are going to learn so much from hearing their experiences, learning from their stories. So we are so excited for Full Cup Professionals. We cannot wait. We want to build a community around this. And so we hope that you'll just jump in. But I want us to share a little bit about what we do now because both of us have uh, different roles. We both are still in social service, but we have some other things going on. And so Faith has a business. I have a business. We wanted to share a little bit about what that is and where you can find us yeah. before we wrap up today. So Faith, tell us about Holistic Hope. What are you doing over there? Okay. Well, yeah, I'm doing two different things. Holistic Hope, our mission is that we are going to be fostering hope by integrating holistic interventions into mental health, trauma therapy, and into training. And so from the training perspective, I train helping professionals in trauma-informed care, learning the basics of trauma, going a little bit more into depth about, you know, all the things we talked about today. And motivational interviewing is another modality that I train helping professionals in. Love, yes, love, love. motivational interviewing was the very first thing actually that opened my eyes to, oh, there's a different way. Oh, there is a way to actually help people. It's the formula that I've been looking for. And it was yeah. the springboard to where I am today in this journey. So getting to teach other helping professionals about it is just one of the greatest passions of my life. And so on the training side, that's what I do. I try to integrate holistic approaches to that in person with sensory things and grounding techniques and things like that. 
most of the world wants online trainings now. And so integrating some movement and some fun into online trainings is the holistic approach that I'm looking for. But holistic just basically means you're looking at everything from a whole person perspective. And so as a social worker, that is what social workers do. We look at the whole picture, not just the emotional, but it's emotional, social, spiritual, mind, body, and soul. And so we're doing that with the exercises that we do in these trainings. We're connecting the work with how we work with others and how we work with ourselves. And so I'm really passionate about those trainings that I do. And then on the other side of my business, I am a psychotherapist and I work with clients that experience trauma, anxiety, stress, secondary stress. I didn't set out to work with helping professionals when I became a trauma therapist, but since I've been in this space and I've been in the psychotherapy world working alongside a nonprofit for a couple of years, that has just kind of naturally happened that I work with a lot of helping professions deal with the things that we're talking about from a trauma perspective, from a holistic mm-hmm. perspective, helping people connect with, hey, how is your childhood impacting what's happening day to day in your job today? How can, by connecting these dots, help you be able to not only heal the trauma from the past, but show up in the present. And so, yeah, that's what Holistic Hope is, psychotherapy, training. That's about it. Oh, and now this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. And I've done your MI trainings and they are excellent. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. And then I am the founder of Good Sustained. I started Good Sustained about a year ago, and it's a stress resilience and workplace wellness consulting company. So I work with organizations and agencies that serve people that have been through traumatic experiences, been through trauma, to really implement practices to help them do this work in a sustainable way. So I think the self-care movement is picking up. We're all learning about, we all have trauma. We're all talking about, we need to be taking care of ourselves. We need to do this work sustainably, but putting those things into practice is a different story. And when you are in the middle of trying to serve people and you've got a million things going on and you have your mission, you really need some help. And I say that because I need help, right? I need help to integrate the changes that I want to make. Trust-based relational intervention, if you are familiar with TBRI, they teach that all positive change takes place in the context of a trust-based relationship. We cannot change alone. And so I walk alongside organizations to help them identify what their specific stressors are, what their specific needs are. I look at how they're operating. I look at their culture. I look at their operations. I look at their strategies, their timeline, their calendar. And we kind of work with their leadership, work with their staff to say, hey, where are some of your pain points? Where has this been really hard? And just ask the question, does it need to be that hard? Do you need to do it that way? Can you do something different? What about this? So bringing in then other resources to help meet those very specific needs, because there isn't a one and done. And so I really work with organizations to help them identify that and put those things into practice. And then I also do one-on-one health coaching. So I work with individuals that are just looking to make lifestyle change. We work together for six months and it's a beautiful, beautiful process. Truly, I think health coaching is probably, it's like your MI, like I love it. It's my favorite thing to look at somebody and hear their story and hear how they want to change and just hold space for this process because 
I think we all want to be like, oh, I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start eating healthier. I'm going to go to sleep earlier. And then we don't do those things. And it's, we end up again running into ourselves, running into the beliefs that we have, running into the patterns that we've developed because of things we've been through. And so it ends up being a really, really transformative experience for people that I love. It's just an honor to witness that. And then coming up in this next year, I'm going to start doing some events, some in-person retreats. So you guys will be the first to know about those kinds of things. I'll keep you updated. That is Good Sustained. You can find me at goodsustained.com. On Instagram, I'm good underscore sustained and would love to have you there. So yeah, we're going to keep talking about some awesome things. Faith, what's your website and your Instagram? Yeah, you can find me at holistichope.net. And on Instagram, I'm holistic underscore hope underscore. Awesome. Sweet. Well, we hope you guys will join us over there. But in the meantime, stick around because we've got another episode coming for you. And this next episode, we're talking about why social service providers need to be actively caring for themselves. This is not just something we can kind of like pretend like it doesn't happen. We can ignore anymore. We need to be actively taking care of ourselves. And we don't just want to be aware of the moments or the stories of the trauma we're exposed to, but the whole system. Uh It's not just the stories. It's not just the like crazy moments. It is the entire system that we're exposed to and the dynamic in that system that impacts our brain and how we see the world. So that's going to be our next episode. Yeah. I can't wait for that. We just want to put some language around that. Oh, I'm excited because this is honestly, that conversation was the one that was like the light bulb Uh moment for me. So I'm excited. Faith, thanks for your time, for you listening. We are so glad that you are here. This is a space where we want you to feel safe, heard, supported. Thank you for what you do. From our mics to your speakers and your ears, thank you, thank you, thank you for the way that you show up, for who you are. You are a gift. We are honored to have you here, and we can't wait to keep on this journey with you. Faith, what are you going to do to fill up your cup this week? Your emotional faith cup. Mm. The person that is faith. <laughs> um, well, recently I've just started working out. And so I'm going to work out. I've been getting up at 4.30 in the morning, <laughs> which to me, I love it. It like really just powers my whole day and just really keeps me motivated throughout the day. And so, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that tomorrow. And I'm really looking forward to that. And this upcoming weekend, I'm just really going to rest and spend some time with my family and just really be present with my family. We don't really have a whole lot of plans, but that's kind of the thing I'm excited about. Yes, I like that. What about you? What are you going to be doing this week to fill up your emotional crystal cup? Great question. We should be celebrating my nephew's birthday this weekend. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Just get to be an aunt. And that makes me really happy. So for you listening, I hope you are doing something this week to fill up your Mm -hmm. cup. Be intentional. Think about it. Think about what's going to make you feel alive, feel connected. And we will see y'all next time. Have a great one.